And turning you back to Galatians chapter 1, please, we've entitled the message, a message for the 12th. Let's just unite our heart together in a word of prayer as we come uh, to the preaching of God's word, even this evening. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do bless thee for an opportunity again to open up the scriptures. We thank the Lord we have them in our mother tongue, and we praise the Lord for the opportunity to preach and to proclaim even Christ. And Lord, we pray that thou might be pleased to shut us in with thyself. Lord, close out every distraction. We know there are many things maybe that has to be seen to this week. But Lord, we pray that thou would close us in just with thyself this evening. We pray, plead the covering of the precious blood. We know, Lord, the devil's busy. We know that we... In the scriptures we read, he's likened to the birds of the air and cometh immediately to snatch away the good seed. Lord, we pray against the strong man tonight and we ask that thy word would run and be glorified. Fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give us help from above, the help of the Holy Spirit, that we might preach as thus. And thus saith the Lord, we ask in our Savior's name. Amen. The glorious twelfth, as people often refer to, ought to be a celebration of our Protestant heritage and a thankfulness to God for the victories that have been achieved. And Popish tyranny was in danger of submerging this land and its people, robbing it of freedom and its liberty. There were those gallant men and leaders whom God raised up to defend the rights of our forefathers. Battles where those men put their lives on the line had to be fought, and they had to be won. Whether it was in Derry, Enniskillen, the Boyne, or a year later nearly in Ockram. And by the help and the grace of Almighty God, this land was saved, and its gospel heritage was preserved. But where there should be a thankfulness and a remembrance of our history. Because men and women, those who forget their history, are only liable to make the same mistakes again. Yet the sad reality of today is this. That we have a generation who don't know what the banners they follow stand for. They scarcely know what they're marching for. And many of the same never are found to darken the church door from one year to another. And then we foolishly wonder why this country is in such a political, social, and religious mess that it's in. The twelfth has lost some of its glory because of the ignorance of the people. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 sums it up. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that knowledge is of the God of heaven and earth and how he has revealed himself to sinful men and women through his precious word. We're in a day when the word gospel is one of those words that is bantered about and which has been hijacked by many. Of course, that's nothing new. There's a marring of the lanes. There's a deception abroad which has been going on for some time. Can I give you a little example even in what we might say is the modern error? 
And that is, we could think of the once great crusade evangelist of Billy Graham. And of the night when in Belmont Abbey in North Carolina, which is a Roman Catholic college, they presented him with an honorary degree. And he said this. He said, the gospel that built this school and the gospel that brings me here tonight is still the way to salvation. That's a marring of the lines. That's confusion. Is there not a need, even in our present day, to again define what the gospel is and to be absolutely sure what we know it is? For having experienced its power, the Apostle Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Bible believing Christian will not be ashamed of it. But furthermore, it ought to cause us to be determined to defend it and to be earnestly contending for it in a day where there's a deception abroad and there's an undermining of it. And as I've said, this is nothing new. I draw your attention to the opening verses of Galatians. Apostle Paul dispenses with the introductory remarks very quickly. In those days, instead of writing your name at the end of the letter, you wrote it at the start of the letter. And so immediately when the letter was read out, the people knew ah, there's a letter from the Apostle Paul. But he dispenses with the introductory remarks. Why? Because he has to expose the, a great serious error that was in the church. And even in those opening words, you'll notice how he reaffirms his authority in writing unto them. Verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's doing so as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now that is there not because of some means of pride or seeking glory in his own position, but because there were serious matters that had to be dealt with. And they needed to understand that with the authority of, of an apostle, that with the authority of heaven behind them, he was writing to them. And he was going to address these errors. These churches were those which he himself had planted. It wasn't the case that they were planted by Peter or James or some of the other apostles and there was reason why they'd got themselves into these errors. These were churches which Paul himself had preached to and indeed they received the message which he had preached with great gladness and with great joy. If you turn over to chapter 4, look at verse 13 just for a second. He says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. He reminds them that he came unto them as a sickly man. He hadn't a great, a strong constitution at this time, and he came to them just as a simple preacher. And such was their reception of the gospel, that if it was possible, they would have been prepared to pluck out their own eyes and give them to him. Such was their love for the preacher. Look at the word of verse 15. 
says, where is then the blessedness ye speak of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Some commentators believe that was his thorn in the flesh, you see, that he writes about in Second Corinthians. He says at the end of Galatians, you've seen how such a large letter I've written unto you. Well, it's not really that large in terms of length. It's only six short chapters. But the, the context, the sense of it might be he wrote with large letters because of his pure eyesight. I just throw that out to you. But here was a people, and they loved the preacher so much that if it was possible, they'd give him his eye, their eyes. But now, just three years later, they're in danger of renouncing the gospel truths that were spoken to them. And so he reveals what is the glorious gospel, and it's the message for the 12th of July. I want you to notice the perversion of the gospel here. For when Paul writes to these churches in Galatia, he's writing to a body of believers. Their position was that they received the gospel. Look at verse 6 if you want a text. Maybe there is one you could home in on. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. They had received the gospel. Look at verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. They had embraced the gospel. Literally, they had laid hold of it for themselves with great joy. And you'll know that the word gospel means glad tidings or good news. And there was a time when there were those who ran well for God and they ran well for truth. And played from the words of chapter 5 and verse 7 in this little epistle, he said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? A question which the Lord might have caused to address to many of his children tonight. There's a time when you received the gospel to your heart. There's a time by the grace of God, like these believers, you were saved. You were washed in the redeeming blood of the Savior. There's a time when you ran well for God. There's a time when you were in the Thursday night prayer meeting. But you're not there tonight. You did run well. What did happen to you? What hindered you? That you should not obey the gospel. Here, a child of God, maybe there's a little word for us there. Make sure your experience with God is one that's not in the past. Make sure it's up to date. Make sure there's no hindrance in your life that will stop you going on and running well for the Lord. Because if that happens, then you end up just going through the motions of religion. If the hymn had been written, maybe Paul would have quoted it to them. Where is the blessedness ye knew when first you saw the Lord? Where is that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? Here were a people who had received the gospel. Boy, why, that was their possession. Notice in verse 6 that they were, you will soon discover there was a problem. They were a people who had so soon removed themselves from the gospel to another message. 
The problem was that there were those who had infiltrated the church with their heretical teachings. They had crept in. They had brought with them their own notions. And the people had turned to that teaching. It was a doctrine which said that to have perfection with God, then they needed the gospel. But to the Gentile believers, they also needed to be circumcised. And so Paul says to them, you've removed yourselves unto another message. Unto another gospel which is not another. It's interesting to consider the word remove. As you have it there in verse 6. It means to change or to transfer. Here were a people who had changed their position with regard to the gospel. They had transferred from being in one position to that of another. And the idea is brought out when you consider the same word as used to speak of Enoch. In Hebrews chapter 11. And a little while ago, just two or three weeks ago, maybe in the prayer meeting, we considered Enoch a little. And it says in that verse, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Enoch was taken by God. Enoch was transferred, if you like, or changed from being on earth to being taken by God into heaven. He didn't have to pass through the valley of death. Or Jude uses the word when he speaks of those who crept in unawares, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. The Galatians had turned themselves away from the truth of the gospel that they had received. They had turned onto another message. They had embraced a message which added to the gospel of Christ. Instead of the gospel of grace, they were in effect embracing a gospel of works. The Judaizers had impressed upon them the need to be circumcised in order, in other words, in accordance bringing them back into their Old Testament laws. There was something that they needed to do and perform. The message was something had to be added to to the work that Christ had accomplished at Calvary. And men and women, that is teaching which is erroneous and is found within the churches of Galatia. And dear people, there are those today within Protestant circles and they hold to such a position. You might be a little alarmed that I've just said that. But there are those tonight who have added to the gospel and instead of it all being all of grace, works have been added. If any man says to you that you must be baptized in order to be saved, that's adding to the gospel. Baptism is a sacrament left by the Lord. But listen, it's not a condition of salvation. Yes, it's good to go through the waters of baptism. Because you're identifying with Christ. You're on the Lord's side as a testimony of what God has done inwardly in your life. But listen, it's not a condition of salvation. If any man, even though he were around color, says that there's no hell and there's business about getting saved, you needn't worry too much about that. That's another message. If any says to a soul that they can make some sort of commitment and live afterwards just the same way, there's no need for you to change anything in your life. Just go on doing the things that you were doing. Live whatever way you like. Salvation without sanctification. That's another message. You see, Romans chapter 12 
And the words of verse 2 bring it out to us. Where the apostle could say, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are not to be transformed to this world. There is to be the renewing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. If any preach that God is so impotent that he is depending upon the sinner to make a decision or to make a commitment, then I tell you that's an erroneous message and that is something that is foreign to the word of God. Because God's word reveals to me a sovereign God, a God who's in control over all things and has decreed all things from before the foundation of the world, including the salvation of his people. There were the perverters of the gospel in Galatia. You look at verse 7. He says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. They were guilty of bringing in perversions. And the sense of the word pervert means to turn it around. But more than that, wherever the word is used, it turns a positive into a negative. And it's only used three, other, three times in total in the New Testament. Let me show them to you. You come back to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, and Peter is preaching even to the great crowds in the city of Jerusalem. And you'll notice that he, on that day, quotes from the prophecy of Joel. What does he say? He says, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. There's the first time the sun shall be turned. You see, it's coming from the negative into, from the positive into the negative. It's the opposite. Light being turned into darkness. The same is found in, in, in James chapter 4 and verse 9. For there it says, let your laughter be turned into mourning. The opposite again in the, is in view. And Paul is saying to these Galatians, these perverters of the gospel have turned you to the opposite of what you have received. They have turned you around from what I've preached. Men and women, there are perversions of the gospel to this day. There are those who cause men and women to be turned away from the gospel of saving grace. And their dependence for salvation is upon what they have done, what they continue to do, or what they need to do, and not upon what Christ has done once and for all at Calvary. There is, that is the perversion of the gospel. For wherever there is the truth of God, the devil will always have his counterfeit. And you can be sure he's got his product looking just like the real thing. It will be a message which sounds so much like the truth. Indeed, I've heard it recently said, they will use our language, biblical language, evangelical language, but they don't use our dictionary. I think that's good. An example of that is Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism is called the Christian church these days. Yet as dogmas teach its people that salvation is through works. You've got to be baptized. 
You've got to do this, that, and the other. Yes, they speak of grace. And they'll even speak of the atonement of Christ on the cross. And they'll even use words such as being justified and all the rest. They will use the terms that are found in the Word of God. But what they mean by those words is not the definition of the Bible or what the Scriptures give of those terms. And that message is a gospel of works which will damn the soul. And so there's a little indicator for you who are saved tonight and you do a wee bit of witnessing maybe to the Roman Catholic workmate. And you say to them, do you know the gospel? Of course they'll say yes. What do they mean by that? It means that they hear the gospel in Latin of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. That's what they mean. That doesn't mean that they know the gospel. And the problem that was facing these churches in Galatia is what is true of today with the erosion of the truth by those who preach another message. Men and women, it behoves us therefore to have discernment and to heed the counsel of Paul where he said in Romans 16 verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Avoid them. You see, we've looked at tonight the perversion of the gospel. But I want also, secondly, to mention to you the particulars of the gospel. The Apostle Paul here could speak in verse 8 of the gospel which we have preached unto you. And for us to understand why that which had infiltrated the church was erroneous, we need to look clearly exactly at what Paul had preached unto them. We've got to define what the gospel really is. That which they had received to the salvation of their souls. And the central truth that Paul was to bring to them is in the words of Job 9 and verse 2, How should a man be just with God? And the only way that man can be declared just is by faith alone. And when we are considering justification and justified before God, then I want to remind you we're dealing with a legal term. We're, as it were, coming in to the courtroom of God. And we're dealing with that which is of the utmost importance. William Cunningham. Some of you might have heard him. He's a Bible commentator, he said this, and I want to quote it. This was the great fundamental distinguishing doctrine of the Reformation and was regarded by all the Reformers as of primary and paramount importance. The leading charge which they adduced against the Church of Rome was that she had been corrupted and perverted the doctrine of Scripture upon this subject in a way that was dangerous to the souls of men. It was mainly by the exposition, enforcement, and application of the true doctrine of God's Word in regard to it that they assailed and overturned the leading doctrines and practices of the papal system. There is no subject which possesses more importance than attaches to this one, and there's none with respect to which the Reformers were more thoroughly harmonious in their sentiments. End of quote. 
He underlines the importance of this very truth. I've said to you, justification brings us into God's courtroom. And every soul born of Adam's race comes in guilty. We come in defiled. We stand in the dock before the judge, defiled with sin. We're born in sin and shapen of iniquity. We are those who have come short of the glory of God. We deserve only of God's wrath and his righteous judgment against us. And standing before God, the sentence ought to be of eternal judgment. But to be justified is that gracious act of God the judge by which he pronounces a repentant sinner to be freed from the penalty of his law and fully restored unto divine favor. And it happens at the moment of conversion. It is a declaration of God that that person is fully conformed to the law. Justice exonerates him because justice has been satisfied. That's what we read of the psalmist in Psalm 32. And the words of verse 2 where he said this, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. There's God declaring the guilty sinner to be instead justified. He has sinned against God, But God declares his sins forgiven. He does not impute them. He does not lay them to his charge. He does not put his iniquities against them. Therefore justification is that change of status whereby one who before was guilty before God and therefore under the condemning sentence of his law, deserving nothing but the eternal banishment from his presence, is instead received into his favor and given a right unto all the blessings which Christ, by his perfect sacrifice on the cross, has purchased for his people. How can sinful man be declared just and innocent before a holy God? Is it because God turns a blind eye to his sin? Is it because he sweeps it under the carpet? It's because God has made a way. And you read of that in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3, I should say, in verse 24. He says, being justified freely by his grace. It's all of grace, you see. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. God being a holy God must punish sin. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. But instead, he was to take our sin and lay it in Christ. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that a man can be just before God. 
by faith alone, in Christ alone. For in the great eternal plan of God, he gave his Son to be the sinner's substitute who would come to die on Calvary's cross. And there the punishment that was my due for my sins and for every one of his people was instead laid upon Christ. And he bore it away in his own body on the tree. And the hell that we ought to have paid, Christ paid it for us. Isaiah 53 and 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, that essentially just means what it says. All the sins of God's people who will ever be saved were converged into a great cloud and they were to meet on him. They were to fall in Christ, his only beloved Son. And the Savior, by dying on that cross, and by shedding his precious blood, has purchased a full and a free redemption, and he has satisfied divine justice. And so for all, therefore, who place their faith in Christ and that finished work of Calvary, they're justified by God once and for all. It's a once-for-all act. They're accepted in the beloved. They're clothed, not in the righteousness of themselves, for that would be the works of man. But they're clothed in the spotless garment of Christ's righteousness. You have heard of John Bunyan. Boys and girls know John Bunyan. Pilgrim's Progress. He said this. And indeed this is one of the greatest mysteries in this world. Namely the righteousness that resides with a person in heaven. Shall justify me a sinner on earth. Let me ask in closing tonight. Do you have this garment on? Have you been justified by God through saving faith in the person of the Lord Jesus? Tonight, as we approach the holiday week on the 12th of July, have you peace with God? That is the glorious message of the gospel that has been preserved in this land through the battles of the past. May God save us from selling out our gospel heritage. The plain way of God's salvation to sinful lost mankind. May God save us from confusion in high places. You see, maybe you don't know this. Why William III and Mary II were invited over to England by Parliament. Because before their day, Charles II was a closet papist. He converted to Romanism on his deathbed. There's never been a good Charles that sat on the throne of England. But following Charles II, James II was on the throne and he was an out-and-out papist. And as I said to the orange men this afternoon, the Protestants of 1688 were not royalists. 
but they were loyal to the Protestant constitution and throne. Because therein they saw the blessing and civil and religious liberties for all men. Men and women, when we sing the king, we need to make it our prayer that God would indeed save Charles III. Because he needs God's salvation. But so do you, if you're not saved in this house tonight. And you, who've been privileged to sit under the message of the gospel, of redeeming grace, what Christ has done at Calvary, and what Paul preached to these people in Galatia. And that's why he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Because there's only one true message of saving grace, only one message of good news. It's Jesus has paid it all. He paid it all at Calvary. He purchased eternal redemption you might be saved. wonder will you come tonight. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word to each and every one of our hearts for his own namesake. Maybe we'll sing in closing 302. Jesus, I blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, midst flaming worlds, and these are red. With joy shall I lift up my head. 302, let's stand As we sing it, please, you'll find it on page 298.
Thank God we're still in the day of God's grace. The Lord can justify a sinner in an instant of a moment tonight. Wonder will you come? I'm here afterwards, God's servant for your sake. You can know what it is to have peace with God. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for the plea and clarion call of the gospel. We praise the Lord for the gospel heritage that we have enjoyed in our land. But oh, we pray that, Lord, when the preacher's voice is silent, I might speak on. And Lord, I would cause the dead to hear. And I might, Lord, open blinded eyes that they might see. But Lord, salvation is all of thy grace. I was provided a way whereby the guilty sinner can be declared just by believing in Jesus. Thank the Lord, the work of Calvary is finished. Thank the Lord, it covers it all. Thank the Lord, he bore the punishment that we ought to have borne. And he cried, finished. And he is risen again from the dead, a living Savior, who is able to save to the uttermost. Have mercy, we pray, on our people. Speak, Lord, in these days. Pray, Lord, that I would bring men and women, young people, even to the foot of the old rugged cross. Hear and answer our prayer, for us with thy blessing and thy favor. Beyond us all that we would need, even this week. For we ask these things in our Savior's precious and all-worthy name. Amen.